2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. How many of you were with us last week as we began the book of 2 Peter? Okay, Peter's objective in this letter, remember he, he realizes somehow that he's not long for this world, that he's going to be passing soon. And his objective is to warn the flock of God. You remember that? He's been commissioned. He's an under-shepherd of the Lord Jesus. He's been commissioned by the Lord, specifically John 21, where Jesus said to him, If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my lambs. If you love me, tend my sheep. Peter, this under-shepherd, knows that he is soon departing, and he sees the wolves in the midst of the flock of God. He sees false teachers, and he is warning the flock before he leaves, okay? So whereas the theme from 1 Peter was how to stand courageous and joyful in the midst of persecution, the theme for this book, 2 Peter, is how to stand true in the face of falsehood. How to stand true when those around you are falling for the lie. We gave the outline last week, if you want it. It's very easy, actually, to follow chapter 1. Peter reminds, reminds us of so many things. Chapter 2, Peter reproves, that is, he rebukes, he uh, rails against the false teachers. And when you look in Second Peter, or for Second Peter chapter 2, you're like, whoa, he means business. So number 1, chapter 1, he reminds. Chapter 2, he repro- reproves or rebukes. And chapter 3, he refocuses us on the return of Christ. Okay, chapter 1 reminds, chapter 2 reproves, chapter 3 refocuses on the return of Christ. So, you guys ready to get into it a little bit more? Chapter 1 then, he reminds us, one of the best ways to combat false teaching is to simply be reminded of the truth. We've used this illustration before, but it's the best one I can think of. We know that bank tellers, when they are training to, to discover counterfeit money, they don't spend all that much time looking at the fakes. What they do is spend lots and lots of time handling, studying, interacting with the real thing. So that as soon as the fake thing pops in their hands, like, wait, something wrong here. See, that's how you discover and avoid counterfeits is by... Focusing, really studying the real thing. So, Peter spends all of chapter 1 reminding us. He basically is saying to us in chapter 1, Look, guys, you already possess the real thing. The stuff that the wolves are offering you is counterfeit. You already possess the riches of Christ. And speaking of bank tellers, in case you've forgotten them, they're the guys that sit in the windows in those brick buildings that have that stuff we used to call money. Um, Peter reminds us this morning, you, if you're a Christian, you are rich. Peter says, you are rich. Now, some of you are saying, well, would somebody please tell my wallet? <laughs> really, though, if you are a Christian... No matter what your bank statement says, you may remember those. Those were pieces of paper that said that you had money. Okay, never mind. No, no matter what your bank statement says, the Bible says, if you're a Christian, truly, you are 
rich. How many of you guys remember the show, Let's Make a Deal? Raise your hand. You guys are old. Okay, I remember it too, unfortunately. People would come in and they would dress up silly, right? And then they would choose between what was between uh, behind door number one or door number two or door number three. Well, you could say, just to keep your interest uh, there this morning, I think I found five doors in our text today. And Peter says, you already own what's behind the doors. You already own them. They are in your possession, every single one of them. Look at verse 3 and and I'll show you. Excuse me. Verse 3, he says, as his divine power has given us, given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We're going to dig into verse 3 more in a little bit, but for now I just wanted to show you the, the tense of that verb. It says, has given. Now, just even if it was past tense, that would be good enough for our purposes. But in the Greek, the tense is actually called the perfect tense. And listen what it means. It refers to an action that is completed in the past once and for all, not needing to be repeated. But I'll repeat that. It it refers to an action that is completed in the past once and for all. It's done, never needing to be repeated again. Peter's point here, guys, is this. Reminder, you are rich already. You already own everything you need for life and godliness. Everything that is behind all of the doors that we're going to look at this morning, all of the riches that are mentioned in our text this morning have already, the Bible says, been bestowed upon you. Does that sound good? Okay, well, let's look. You guys want to look behind door number one? Okay, well, let's do it anyway. Actually, you know what? We need to look at doors number one and two because they go together. They always go together. seems like when you look in the Bible, when you find door number one, you'll find door number two. Behind doors number one and two are grace and peace. You see it? Verse two, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, this is a very familiar blessing. It's found in the introduction pretty much of most of the New Testament letters. You'll find Peter or Paul or uh, some of these folks just saying one of the very first things out of their lips is grace and peace be unto you. You find them together. They, they go together like salt and pepper, like Batman and Robin, like Laurel and Hardy. Okay, if you remember them, you're a little bit old too. Um, They go together like cold and flu season. They go together like government and spending. Grace and peace. Always together. And interestingly enough, always in this order. First grace, then peace. You know why? Because you never find peace with God unless you have experienced the grace of God. Let me illustrate it for you. If you go back to our prices right picture, there's no way to get to door number two without going through door number one. Door number two is directly behind door number one. Peace with God is impossible to get to without the grace from God. Grace, what's it mean? Most of you know it's unmerited favor. That is God 
is nice to you. He's good to you, even though you don't deserve it. Uh, Another way to put it would be pardon. That is, we have sinned, we have fallen short, but God has pardoned us. He's granted us grace, unmerited favor. See, all of us are sinners, and we can't even open door number one unless we admit that we are sinners. And then he pardons us, shows his grace to us. He exchanges our filthy rags for his royal robe. Again, let's make a deal. They would come in all these goofy outfits, right? The way this works is you don't get to go through the door until you exchange the goofy outfit that you came in in for his royal robes. Okay, behind door number one then, available to anyone here today who will confess his need for pardon, his his desire to be right with a holy God, he will, um, he will show his grace. He will show his pardon, forgiveness. So that's door number one. Directly behind door number one then is the door of peace. You go through the door of pardon to get through the door of peace. Once you've received the pardon of God, then the peace with God immediately follows. And many of you, I hope most of you, I, I would love it if it was all of you, Know that. Where you were at once at war with a holy God. But now because of his pardon, you are at peace with him. I hope you're no longer struggling, warring against him, battling him. The Bible says that you are on the same side as him. The creator of the universe. Think about that. Just those two words alone. Peter reminds every Christian reader, you are rich. Now here's the thing. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian yet, you're maybe looking into it. I'm glad that you're here. If you have not yet repented, surrendered your life, asked him into your life, you can do that today. You can walk through door number one. By coming to him saying, I am a sinner. I do need a pardon. Turn from your way, turn to his way, and you can walk through that door. Okay, That's if you're not a Christian, but, but I hope I speak to most of us. If you are a Christian, you already own what is behind door number one, pardon. And you already own what is behind door number two, peace. But some of you are saying, <clears throat> but I don't feel pardoned. I don't feel peace. You're saying, I I know in my head that I have pardon from God, but I don't feel the pardon of God. I know in my head that I'm at peace with a holy God, but I sure don't feel the peace of God. I would say that is because, though everything that's behind the door you possess, you own, you have not yet turned the key. See, it's possible to own great riches and not avail yourself of them, to not use them, to not enjoy them. Maybe some some of you have heard this story. This is by Warren Wiersbe about William Randolph Hearst. William Randolph Hearst was a billionaire who made his fortune as a newspaper publisher. He decided at one point in his life to invest his fortune in great works of art. One day he read about a very valuable piece of art in an art magazine and he decided he just had to have it. 
So he called his agent and sent him all over the world to find this piece of art. The agent searched for it everywhere, but he couldn't find it. Uh, Hearst insisted, though, that he find this piece. So he sent them out again. <clears throat> Finally, the agent returns and said, Mr. Hearst, I, ha- I do have good news. I found the valuable piece of art that you've been searching for. And Hearst said, that is wonderful. Where was it? The agent said, it was in your own warehouse, sir. You bought it several years ago. It's possible to own great riches and not enjoy them. Not make any use of them. Not avail yourself of them. Peter says to us this morning, you already own the pardon of God. You already own the peace of God. If you're not enjoying it, you need to use the key to unlock the door. Door number one and door number two. Now, what is the key? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. The word knowledge, epigenosis. It means more than just to know something in your head. It means to, some, to become thoroughly acquainted with, to know something thoroughly. So he's not just talking about a head knowledge. He's talking about knowledge by experience. Damien Kyle, a pastor in, on the West Coast, says it this way, and it clicks with me when he says it this way. It means to gain a history with. So grace and peace be multiplied to you in the experiential knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Y'all, we need to get this this morning because it's going to come up again and again this morning and the rest of your life. The key, listen, the key to unlocking the riches that you already own in Christ is becoming thoroughly acquainted with Jesus. Getting to know Him. I want to know you to gain a history with Him. Just to get to know Him. You guys want to look like geniuses for the rest of the service? <laughs> a couple of you laugh like, I don't even know if that's possible. It is, it is. You're going to look like geniuses if you do this, okay? You'll look like you studied for this lesson. Every time I say, use your key, you guys say, get to know Jesus. Okay, let's try it. Use your key. Get to know Jesus. Wow. See? Genius. All right. Then let's apply that to verse 2. Let's say that you're one of those people and you're like, okay, I get it. I understand in my head that I'm pardoned, but I don't feel pardoned. I would say to you, it's already behind the door. You already own it. Use your key. When you do, you find that he is gracious. You find that he's forgiving. He pardons all the time. He does it from second to second. Just ask him about me. He'll tell you. That's what he does. He pardons. He forgives. When you get to know Jesus, you begin to discover that it's not so much about all the junk that you do, the depth of your depravity, but know the depth of his forgiveness is what matters. Or maybe you say again, okay, but it's the peace of God that, that I'm having struggled with. I understand in my head that I'm at peace with the Holy God, but I don't feel the peace 
of God. I would say to you, you already own the peace of God. Now, turn the key. Get to know Jesus. When you you do, when you get to know this one you call king, you find that he is rightly called the prince of peace. He owns peace. He was the calm in the midst of the storm, right? When you get to know Jesus, you discover the peace of God. Okay, so doors number one and two, the pardon of God and the peace of God, you already own what's behind them. The way that you begin enjoying them is to turn the key. You guys are already doing better than the first service. Congratulations. All right, you could read, you could read verse two this way. I think this is a legitimate reading of verse two. Grace and peace will be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In other words, grace and peace are just going to, they're going to start, you're going to start noticing that which is already there, but it's just going to be blown up before you, okay? Grace and peace will be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. All right, on to door number three. You interested in door number three? Some of you. Door number three. We've got the, the peace of God. We've got pardon of God. Door number three is the power of God. All the guys with power tools, power sports. Power drinks. For you business types, the power lunch. My favorite, the power nap. <clears throat> I remember that uh, we, we took a tour of Edison's uh, la- laboratory uh, way, way back in the day. And he had a little cot that he kept. Uh, we'd take little 10-minute naps every so often. I use that all the time to make myself feel better. Yep, need a power nap, just like Edison. Genius. Okay. Uh, all right. We have, door number three is the power of God. Look at it, uh, where it says divine, as his divine power, that word is dunamis, the same place we get the word dynamite, okay? His divine power, so God's power, think about that. God's power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Again, when you start to dig in and you, you, you look at what these words mean, it becomes like, I can't believe it. It's amazing. Peter is then saying, think about it, if you're a Christian, you already possess, uh, perfect tense, it's already happened once for all, you already possess all of the power of God that you need. Not just the power of men, not just the power of princes, not the power of armies or even the power of nations, but the power of the God who created all of them. You already possess that. If you're a Christian, you possess the power of God, all of it that you could possibly need. Because uh, the, the NIV, the, it's a great translation for this verse, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Already given it to us. It's behind door number three, it's, and you own it. Now, don't raise your hand. But have you ever thought to yourself, you know, all I really need is just more power. I, I feel so powerless. All I need is the power to resist temptation. All I need is the, the power to choose the right path. All I need is the power to be the husband or the father that I should be. All I need really is the power to be the wife or the mother that I should be. All I need is the power to, to be the Christian that I should be, the teenager that I should be. I just feel so powerless 
I just seem to be so powerless over this sin, this addiction. I seem so powerless in my marriage or my job, whatever it is. Look behind door number three as His divine power. God's power has already given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Behind door number three is all of God's power that you need for life, it says, and godliness. Life, that word is zoe. I love this word because it's, it's a huge word that's filled. Here's the definition. Absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, which belongs to God. Life real and genuine, a life active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed. In short, zoe is what we would think of as the abundant life. The joyful, filled, rich life. Whenever I see that word defined, my mind automatically goes to John 10.10 where Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But what I come for is that they might have life and that more abundantly. Peter says you already have all all that you need to have that abundant life. But then he also says, for life and it says godliness. That word is eusebia. And it means a life pleasing to God. Uh, it's speaking of a lifestyle of worship. Basically, everything you do, everything you say, all that you sing, all of it is pleasing to God. Like your whole life is one worship uh, experience. So put those two concepts together. Hope I'm not losing you in the weeds here. I want to I speak to you uh, verse 3. And let's call it the New Doug version. Okay? Here it is. God has given you, that is, you already possess, all of his power you need to live a life that's pleasant to you and pleasing to him. That's what he's saying. God's already given to you everything that you need to live a life that is pleasant to you and pleasing to him. Y'all, that is what is behind door number three. And I don't know if you get this, but this is huge. We, we walk around and we say to ourselves, well, if I only, or if this only had, or if I only had the power, whatever, then I could live a life that's pleasant to me and pleasing to God. But verse 3 says that he's already given you, you already possess all of his divine power that you could possibly need to live a life that is pleasant to you and pleasing to him. That is, he has everything you need to live a, a, one, a life and godliness. Now, some of you, though, are saying, yeah, but then why do I feel powerless in the small areas of, say, life and godliness? Why do you, why so often fail to live a life that's pleasant to me and pleasing to God? I'd say, use your key. Get to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus. Thank you. Verse 3. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, guess what? Here's the key that unlocks door number 3. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. Huh, did you see that? Same key opens up all of these doors. Opens up the, the key to pardon and peace and now opens up the key to the very power of God. It says you already own it. You just need to turn the key. Yeah, I was seeing if you were paying attention. All right. Listen, you, you already own 
You already possess the power of God. And it's possible. It happens all the time. You can possess enormous power and never use it and never enjoy it. You can own the fastest car in the world, have it in your garage, and never enjoy the power of it. If you don't turn the key. The key is to get to know Jesus by experience. To gain a history with him. Epigenosis. If you say to me, look, I need power to resist temptation. To choose the right path. To live a life that's pleasant to me. To, that's pleasing to him. I say to you, you already have that power. What you need to do is unlock that power by turning the key. Good, good. Get to know Jesus. I won't take you there, but you can write it down and check me out. Make sure I'm not lying to you. Be Bereans. Acts chapter 3. You remember Peter, the, the, the writer of this book? He and John, they're walking on their way up to the temple. They meet a cripple. And he says, hey, do you have any money for me? Peter says, nope, silver and gold, we don't have it. But tell you what, I'll give you something that I do have. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That's the power of God, Right? He has the power of God and he's wielding it. Well, check it out. The next chapter, Peter and John get hauled into the authorities for doing this terrible thing. They healed this guy. Just awful. And they're having this debate with these muckety-mucks, these big dogs, uh, religious elite. And they, the power behind their words, all of it is, is stymieing to these guys. Finally, the, the Pharisees turn to each other and basically say, what is the deal? How do these guys, how can they speak so boldly and have this power? Because they're, they're just fishermen. They're just normal guys. They're blue-collar guys. And then it says, and they remembered that they had been with Jesus. Epigenosis. In other words, they had a history with Jesus. Chapter 3, that's power to heal. Chapter 4, it's power to persuade. And all of it comes from being with Jesus. Let me be bold and, and easy to follow in application. We love to look for application here. Um, I'm going to just put it really plainly. Uh, maybe it doesn't need to be this plain, but maybe for some it will, it will in, impact you. But the application for pretty much all of this today is this. Your quiet time, whatever you want to call it, your time with Jesus is the key that unlocks all of it. And in this case, it is the key that unlock, unlocks the power plant that you've been given. Do you see it? Verse 3, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge. There's the key. Getting to know him who called us, it says, by glory and virtue. Glory. The word is resplendence. It's big. It's huge. It's a God word. Okay. And virtue. That's moral excellence. That's just living right, living righteously, beautifully, winsomely, we've been talking about. Peter talks about Jesus' glory and his virtue. You remember that Peter saw both of those things up close and personal. Um, Peter saw Jesus' glory when? In particular, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Right when Jesus says, okay, he, he brings him up, him and, and James and, and John, and it says that his glory shone, his raiment, his clothes were white as snow. He was hard to look at, Jesus was, on the Mount of Transfiguration. The idea is that 
he took off a little bit of his humanity, if you will, and just let his deity shine through for a little bit. That's what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. So Peter saw Jesus' glory, right? He saw it probably lots of times, but that had to have been the main time. What about virtue? Well, Peter saw Jesus' virtue day in, day out. Just his, his goodness. Glory and virtue, you could say it this way. Peter has noticed Jesus' godness, glory, and goodness, virtue. Peter can testify because he's experienced it, Jesus' godness and his goodness. Here's my point. As we get to know Jesus, we spend time, we get a history with him. Like Peter, we begin to notice his godness. The fact that he's God and he can fix any problem, right? And I think that these two words are tied in. You notice back again, life and godliness. And here we have glory and virtue. It's interesting to me that they're both, you know, two word phrases. Uh, Here's what I think is happening. As you focus on Jesus, you get to know him. You notice his godness and you gain godliness by looking. You get a little closer to that which you're focusing on. Then you also notice his goodness and his virtue. And guess what? You begin to live better, uh, more righteous, more pleasing. All that you need for life and godliness you find in his virtue and glory that you spend time with him. I don't know if it's making sense. It does to me. And I guess that's what's important. That makes sense to me. The, The point is that the key to unlocking all of it, a life that's pleasing to him, pleasant to us, is getting to know him. All right. So let's review a little bit and then we'll keep going. Doors number one and two, pardon and peace. If I say, turn your key, you say, good. Door number three, the power of God. All the power that you could possibly need to live a life that's pleasant to you, pleasing to him. If I say, turn your key, you say, All right. So we got door number one, door number two, door number three. Ready for door number four? All right, good. Verse four. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. The fourth door. Behind the fourth door are these promises of God. Don't know if you've noticed, but behind each door you've got uh, door number one, pardon, then peace, then power. Now the promises of God. As you read it from left to right, it goes... That was for free. Door number four. Behind door number four are the promises of God. And listen to me. Promises is an adjective. The the adjectives before promises. It says great and precious. Great and precious. Let's talk about the word great. It's magistos. We get the, the... The root word is mega. Again, the guys go, if they're not sleeping, the guys say, mega, I get that. That's huge, big, right? Megaton, megawatt, megadose, megaphone. For you ladies, mega blowout sale. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. That's just the root word though, mega. It means big. Okay, but listen to this. The actual word is megistos, which is, believe it or not, the superlative word of that. 
which means even more. So you could say it's super duper mega. That's what he's saying here. The, the promises of God that are super duper mega. Uh, to put it in the kids vernacular today. He, Peter is referring to the ginormous promises of God. But not only that, it says precious. That means exceedingly valuable, especially esteemed, very dear. Y'all, Peter, even though we could be he's writing this from a prison, we don't know for sure. We know he spent time in prison. Peter looks at himself as rich. And he wants you to look at yourself as rich. He wants you to be as rich as you really are. He says, realize that already in your possession, actually in your lap, right now, you hold promissory notes from God. You hold promises that he's written down to you. Let me just remind you of a few. Let the Lord minister to you through these. Promises like, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Though all others will, I won't. I promise. Promises like, though the mountains are removed and the whole world falls apart, my word will remain. I promise. Maybe this is your promise today. Come unto me and I will give you rest. I promise. From Galatians, don't grow weary in well-doing. Keep it up. And if you don't quit, I promise you will reap a harvest. Maybe this is your promise today. Jesus saying to you, look, I clothe the, the lilies of the valley in splendor, and I will clothe you. I feed the birds of the air, and I will feed you, I promise. And when it comes time, when it comes time to die, I will walk even through the valley of the shadow of death. I'll be your good shepherd, I promise. Romans 8.28 I will work all of this mess out for your good, I promise. If you're a Christian, God's great, mega, super duper promises and precious promises are yours. You already own them and He never goes back on a promise. Some of you know this by experience. I may promise you something and completely forget. You're like, no, that could never happen. Oh, yeah. I could promise you all sorts of things and completely forget just because I'm dumb. But God never forgets a promise. Matter of fact, did you know that there's a promise in the Bible that He never forgets His promise? Deuteronomy 4.31, I will not forget my promises because I am a merciful God. Now, does that bring comfort to you, real comfort to you? I'm sure that there are some that's like, yes, oh, that brings such great comfort. But maybe you're like, I want it to bring comfort, but I still kind of don't. Does it bring me comfort? Well, if you look at those people who are, who are so comforted by those words, you know why? Because they've gained a history with Jesus. They've gotten to know him. They've known by experience that he is true to his word. Let me put it this way. If the promises, even these promises, as precious as they are, if they still don't bring you the comfort of God, 
use your key. When you get to know him, you will find he is faithful. I read it this morning, how faithful he was to a group of the children of Israel who were never faithful to him. As you gain a history with him, you understand that he's faithful to his promises and that brings great comfort. Okay? When you get to know him, you will find he is faithful, reliable, absolutely trustworthy to fulfill every promise. That leaves one last door for us. Door number five. You ready? Not only the pardon of God, the peace of God, the power of God, and the promise of God, but believe it or not, the last one you can have, actually you already own, but you might not be using it, the purity and personality of God. What? The purity and personality of God. Look at verse 4 as it continues. It says that through these, I believe he's talking about the promises, through these promises you may be partakers of the divine nature. To, to have someone's nature means, right, that, that you think the way, do, the way they do. All of the things that would describe them describe you. That through these promises you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Let's talk about the, the tense of the verb again. It doesn't always come in so handy, but today it seems to be necessary. The tense of the verb in, in this translation is probably not the best. Not to bore you, but there's something called the subject, subjunctive tense. And it has to do with potential. In other words, it can happen and it's, it will happen, but there's, there's a but attached. Um, let me read the NIV for you and it will make it clear. The NIV says this. Through these promises, he has given us, uh, excuse me, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. He's talking about potentiality. Let me put it this way. Peter is saying, you have in your possession already the ability to escape the corruption of this world. Let me ask you, hopefully, don't raise your hand because I hope the answer is yes for everyone. Do you want to be pure in this dirty world? Because what he's saying is behind door number five is the purity that you desire even in this wicked world. But you have to turn the key We've seen that, that knowing him is the key to unlocking what we already possess, right? We all agreed? Are we all awake? Okay. Listen, knowing him, getting to know him is the key, okay? The deal is, on this last thing, it's, it's right there as well, but it's camouflaged a little better. Because you don't see the word knowledge, but guess what? The word is partakers of the divine nature. Guess what that word is? Koinoneos. You know that word, many of you, it's fellowship. It's to partner with. It's a comrade, a companion, a partner, a sharer in anything. Do you guys understand what he's saying? As you get to know Jesus, as you begin to trust his promises, wield his power, become his partner, you get to be a partaker in his divine nature. You get to actually have more and more of his divine nature in you. So that it's your nature. 
Right? The problem is a lot of times we're looking like, I, I, can't, I can't live according to my nature. Well, no, live according to your new nature, that which should come naturally to you. I don't know if I'm making sense, but this is what it means. As you spend time with Him, His thoughts become your thoughts. His desires become your desires. His decisions become your decisions. His compassion becomes your compassion. His virtue becomes your virtue. His life, abundant life, and godliness become your abundant life and godliness. Y'all, that's the way to escape the corruption that is in this world. Become a partner, a partaker with Christ in His divine nature. Get to know Him. Study Him. Let Him rub off on you. I looked for an illustration um, that I, I couldn't find it, but it has to do with um, how the, the fragrance of Christ works. So I kind of made up my own. First of all, you guys know that we're called to have the, the fragrance of Christ, right? To, to smell like Jesus. I don't know what that means exactly, but here, here's where he's going, I think. This is in, in Corinthians. Uh, Paul calls it. We are to have the fragrance of Christ. Let me illustrate it. If you were to work an eight-hour shift at McDonald's, what fragrance would you have? <laughs> sweat. But besides sweat, probably hamburgers, French fries, right? If you were to work, though, an eight-hour shift at a florist shop, what fragrance would you have when you left? Flowers. Roses. Whatever it might be. Where you spend your time is just naturally going to rub off on you. You spend time with Jesus, the Rose of Sharon. You will just naturally have His fragrance. You'll naturally become more and more like Him. You'll have His personality. You'll have His purity. All of it will become yours. Do you get it? I hope you see. Do you see that you are rich? You're rich. Exceedingly rich. Let me ask you a a pointed question before we close here. Are you still living like a pauper? The last couple of years have been amazingly different than what most of us have experienced before. Financially. Whatever, right? It occurred to me, uh, I shared this first service, and it's not on my notes, so sorry if it sounds disjointed, but in my quiet time this morning, the Lord showed me the, the, the incident where he met the, uh, the rich man. And the rich man says, hey, I've done most of these things that you're talking about. How do I enter into the kingdom? Jesus looks at him and loves him and says, well done, that's awesome. Okay, you only lack one thing. Give away everything you've got and follow me. And the guy puts his head down and walks off sad. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom than just about anything. He does say, but even that's possible. But the point is, I wonder if he's taken away some of our other riches so that we'll realize how rich we are. Are you living like a pauper 
even though he's made you rich. Close with this. The, um, there's a story of a, a man who died all alone in the middle of this tremendous field. Not, not a soul around. They, when they finally found him, they, they took off a thing that was around his neck and in it was the title deed to all this land. And in the land they discovered oil. <laughs> lots and lots of oil. He was rich. But he never enjoyed it. He never lived in it. You guys get it? We shouldn't be living as paupers. And you understand, please, if you think I'm talking financially, you're really going to be messed up. We we should be living the rich life that he's provided for us. And the way we do it is to turn the key. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for the power that is in your word. Thank you for the power that you've given to us. can't believe it, Lord, that you would look at uh, people like us and, and even trust any, any of us with any of your power. Lord, maybe that's why you've locked it away in the way that we, we get it and enjoy it is by knowing you. I ask, Lord, that you should help us. We want to apply your word in a way that's pleasing to you this morning. Thank you for your presence. Ask that you would guide and lead us every step of the way. Lord, you know exactly what each person here, what they're facing and what they're going through, what encouragement they need or exhortation, whatever it is. Pray that you'd now make your presence known. In Jesus' precious name, amen.